What defines crazy? One way Urban Dictionary defines crazy is someone who will go against the rules. A person who acts in a manner that normal society does not approve of. We would add that crazy can be defined as enigmatic, meaning mysterious or speaking in riddles, often misunderstood. God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yet even though he is enigmatic, he tells us in seven places in scripture that if we seek him, we will find him when we search with all of our heart. Journey with us as we seek him and explore the evidence that confirms God be crazy. Welcome back to God Be Crazy. This episode of God Be Crazy is among some of the craziest we've done. Yes, it very much um, signifies the namesake of the podcast. For sure. So we are talking about some scriptures that you will rarely, if ever, hear preached (laughs) from your pulpits. Um, Most people do not give sermons on these or even talk about these because they make us cringe. They make us, you can't see our face, but go, ooh. This is one of those episodes I wish that podcasts were video podcasts because... The faces when we read some of these things. Mm-hmm. So we're going through a handful of stories, and all of them originally make us go, ugh, like gross, or what is going on, or why is this in the Bible? But hopefully, as we talk about it and process it together and kind of piece together the story, the cringe will turn into, aha, okay. This makes sense. There's a meaning behind Mm -hmm. this. There's a purpose for why this is here. But if you just read the text and just move on through, you're like, what did I just read? (laughs) Why is this in here? And what, how do you reconcile that with the God who we love and all of that? So, okay, we're going to start our first story we're going to talk about is from first, no, it's second Kings, second Kings 2.23. So Elisha, who's a prophet, is um, God's hand is on him. He has just done a, a miracle, essentially. And so he's definitely God's prophet. And he is moving along the road, and he gets teased. So I'm going to pick up. I'm going to read this. It's not very long. It's 2 Kings 2, 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. And this is what they said. Go on up, you bald head. They said, go on up, you bald head. And he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on up to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Just like that. I'm just going to keep on walking. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. This story, upon reading it, first of all, I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So basically, there's a prophet. He's mm-hmm. walking along, and these kids, we don't know any ages or anything like that. There was quite the crowd of them, as 42 of them were mauled. But there's quite, quite the crowd of these mm-hmm. kids have gathered, and they are teasing this prophet. They are making fun of his head. So back in the day, it was uncommon for Jews to have little hair. 
They had a lot. Apparently, that was one of the things that they were blessed with was good hair. Mm -hmm. And Elisha didn't have hair on the top of his head, I guess, because of the scripture. Mm -hmm. They were calling him bald head. Mm -hmm. And so hair was a sign of strength. He's bald. So basically, they're saying... power. Yes. By calling him bald head, they're saying, basically, you don't have any power. And... We don't know what was going on with Elisha this day. Maybe he had just straight up had enough. Maybe these youth had been teasing him for a while on this yeah, road. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't it's know. a road he walked often, and he was getting the same jeering all the time. Like, we really don't know the context of it. This is yeah. this is what we have. And all mm-hmm. we have is that they were teasing this dude about mm-hmm. his hair, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And the Lord honored that curse and came down, sent two bears down from the mountain to... Maul these kids. 42 of them. So, I've, I don't know about you, Christy, but I have never been to church and heard about <laughs> the curse, like, that God's prophets could call on the name of the Lord and God would take animals to tear up some young kids. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're like, what? What happened here? Like, this, but, is, this is my God? What? Like, I teach him a lesson, but oh my goodness, that's a pretty... Pretty intense lesson to learn. Don't make fun of God's chosen people. Yeah. That's the lesson I, mean, I get from that's it. That's the only thing. I mean, unless I'm missing something, that's what I get from it. When God has mm-hmm. put his hand um, in favor upon someone, it's best that you don't make fun of someone who's in God's favor because if you do you could be cursed you could be mauled by bears or anything Mm -hmm. I mean the curse can be whatever it is basically he had had enough and he asked God to deal with it and God did in a way to us that seems bizarre but bizarre and dramatic yeah you know but we need to keep in as we read all these stories this is a good example but all of them we don't know everybody's mm-hmm. whole heart and life who appear in these these right. stories who are who, whose lives we're talking about yep. god knows every single bit of detail in all of these stories he knows in fine detail every youth that was jeering at elisha so does it seem a little dramatic does it seem a little bit intense maybe it, to us but yeah exactly maybe to us we weren't that's there that's why we're not the judge mm-hmm. so Cringe story number one out of the way. On to number two. Are you ready? Because this is a, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Just maybe this is, if you have your kids in the car, you might just like want to pause (laughs) and listen to this later. Um, Or not, because it's really not the end of the world. It's just a medical condition. You will have some explaining to do, however. So in Deuteronomy 28, God lays out for the Israelites all the blessings that they're going to get for obedience. Mm -hmm. But he also lays out a laundry list of curses that they will get if they are not fully obedient. So if they're disobedient, these are some things that are going to happen to you if you're disobedient. And we're we're just skipping to one particular scripture. There's a whole lot of things that happen. There's a lot of cringy things. This is perhaps a very cringy verse. Very cringy thing. So in verse 27, it says, The Lord will afflict you. My verse, I'm in NIV. Yours says something different in KJV. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt and with tumors 
festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. (laughs) Yeah, the main difference I want to point out between the versions is just that um, the NIV calls them tumors and the KJV calls them emeralds, both of which mean hemorrhoids. Yeah, so he just gave his people hemorrhoids who were disobedient. Yeah, well, he Mm -hmm. gave people. Some people were his, some people weren't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 9 and 12, we are reading about the Philistines and how they have stolen the Ark of the Covenant. And because of that, God's hand comes against them. So in verse 9, now I'm reading in KJV. It was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emrods in their secret parts. <laughs> and the men that died not were smitten with emrods, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Wow. Yeah, so if you didn't die... You were stricken with incredibly painful hemorrhoids that made you cry out to heaven for help. Yeah, well, the Philistines, they wouldn't renounce Dagon, who was their god at the time. And because of that, they wanted, they just wanted to get, once they realized that God was cursing mm-hmm. them, and they had, that's what these hemorrhoids they were having was because of this mm-hmm. curse, they wanted to get that ark as far away from them as they could. Mm-hmm. And for me, this verse and then the ones in Deuteronomy um, kind of put into context why whenever we read about Job in another podcast, we unpacked yes. Job. And I was like, why does everyone think Job? Everyone is convinced Job has done something wrong. Well, this is why. Because when you sinned against God, something <laughs> happened to your body. Like you were stricken with disease. That was part boils, of the curses. Tumors, hemorrhoids. Dis- I mean, you're ill. When people get ill, it's like, ooh, you are against God. God is on, you know, God is punishing you. Right. This is why, because this is what happens to people in this day of of this era, whenever you're God's adversary, you get stricken like this. No fun. You know, we should recognize the... The Philistines were a prideful people. They had a lot of self-love. They were very worldly. Those are all things that we see in our society now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, self-love, pride are commonplace in the current of our culture. I mean, it's common for people to be self-absorbed. We are more interested in what's in it for us. Mm-hmm. What do we get out of it? What's it going to cost us? How much time is it going to take? Like. We're a selfish, prideful people. And those that seek to serve themselves will always go against God. And sometimes that shows up in God's people. And that's why he put these pretty uncomfortable consequences in place to promote obedience to his ways. So... Yeah, it's a pretty negative consequence, I would yeah, say. Yeah, they may they may have had a totally different outcome had they decided to go to God, confess their sin, and try to enter into a covenant with Him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But also, this this continues on. We see this happen again in First uh, Samuel chapter six. Mm-hmm. 
it ends up being around seven months that the Philistines had kept this ark. And because of that, they continued to suffer. And it was made known to them that the only way that that suffering would end would be when they returned the ark of the covenant and made an amends that was set forth to them. They were told what to do, that they had to do to make it right. Mm-hmm. And so they went ahead and did that, and the heavy hand of the Lord lifted. Right. Which is a lesson to us. So when we are suffering because of our sin, whether it's a natural consequence, because sin has natural consequences, mm-hmm. or um, God may be showing us something by continuing right. to put his heavy hand on us until we turn. And if we don't do that, we're going to continue to suffer in some form. If we find ourselves in a pattern of ongoing poor choices or ongoing sin, and we keep suffering in that, that suffering, that natural consequences, or sometimes God-enforced consequences, is there to deter you, to put you on a different path. We'd be wise to like pay attention and yeah. turn. We it wouldn't it be better to learn from their bad decisions than to have to have our own situation where he says, Oh, this is one of these moments for you. And that actually brings us to our next cringe worthy Bible story. And this one comes from Exodus four. Mm-hmm. 18 through 31, where Moses teaches us a warning, like pay attention to Moses' mm-hmm. life and learn a little lesson. So what's happening right now in this story, we're not going to read every every chapter or every verse of it, but you can go back and listen or you can go back and read for yourself. Moses is returning to Egypt and he has Zipporah and his son with him as well. Zipporah is his wife. Zipporah is his wife. And so he's headed back to Egypt to do what, to perform wonders that God told him to perform. And on the road, God meets up with him and he's about to kill him for being disobedient. And Zipporah, his wife, takes a flint knife and cuts off her son's foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it. And she says, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So Moses has disobeyed. All we know, we don't know why exactly, but we know he's disobeyed. God told him to circumcise all the Israelite males, Mm -hmm. and he didn't do it. And so because he didn't do it, God's wrath was upon him. He was disobedient. So as God meets him on the road, Zipporah... I guess she picked up the energy in the place. It was like, God is after you, man. And she cuts off the foreskin of their son as quick as she can with a flint knife and puts it on his feet. And apparently this is like basically making the amends. It's saying, look, we did what you, you know, we did. Right. We did what you told us to do. So we can only speculate why he didn't obey. All we know is that he didn't obey. Um. Some people assume this, and these are kind of safe assumptions, but they're still assumptions. So safe assumption is kind of like an ironic, uh, like mutually exclusive kind of phrase. Well, the the Bible doesn't give the specific detail, but if you um, read 
the context of the chapters before the chapters af- after, you can kind of make these assumptions, and mm-hmm. that's where they come from. So yeah. So Zipporah, Moses's wife, is actually a Midianite. She's not an Israelite. And so he married into a different culture that doesn't believe how he believes. They didn't have the same laws. And so essentially he's unequally yoked with Zipporah. And it is is where the assumption comes in. We, We have to assume that because there's different cultures and they don't have the same laws or customs and they aren't under God's rule, God gave the Israelites a direct command to circumcise their boys. And Zipporah would not have gotten that command in her community. Right. And so he intermarried with her. And so some think that the, his lack of circumcising his boys may have been because an effect of being unequally yoked. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you're married and you know your spouse doesn't like something or has takes issue with something that you're told to do. There's a little bit of a rift there, right? Like you mm-hmm. kind of go back and forth. Is this worth me getting into? Mm-hmm. And Who are you going to be allegiant yeah, to in this case? Where exactly? Where does that allegiance lie? Or is your allegiance with God first, or are you considering the needs or wants of your spouse above what God has ordered you to do? Mm-hmm. And we. Like I said, these are the assumptions, but this is what it leads up to. So it was either something to that effect or because he was ill. Or because the sin that was going on in his life caused the illness. Yeah. So we've already learned how that works. Right. The hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so in Matthew, this is Jesus's words, but um, I'm flying to the New Testament here. But in Matthew 10, 37, Jesus tells us that whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so you see that reflected in this story, that God is a jealous God. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want any idols in the form of people or anything else to sit superior to him. And literally anything that you put before God is an idol. Right. And... It's it's important that we take note of this situation with Moses and we apply it to our lives. In doing that, we need to carefully watch over our hearts. We need to carefully pray to God and ask mm-hmm. him to show us the things that may be hindering our relationship with him. Show us the people, the places um, that we could possibly be making an idol mm-hmm. and putting before God. Yeah. And repent and make it right. You see that in this story. She quickly realizes wrath is upon her husband, and she makes it right as fast as she can. And even even if circumcision is not her customary thing, she quickly learns how to get her husband out of hot hot water. Moses didn't quickly do that. I don't know if he was capable. Like I said, we don't know why he didn't quickly do that. But she did quickly, and God honored that. That's, I think, another good point for us is that when your husband or wife is in sin and you know it as a believer, your prayers on their behalf, they have a lot of power. Your Mm -hmm. prayers, period, have power as a believer. We know that. But your prayer over, your intercession for your loved one is significant. Yes, it is. 
what she did affected God's wrath turned from Moses in, in this scene. And another thing that we can learn from this is that whenever God brings it to our attention, the sin that we have in our lives, it is up to us to diligently and quickly repent and turn from those things. So as we continue down Cringeworthy Road, we find ourselves backtracking a bit to Genesis 19, basically the whole chapter, but we're going to start around chapter or around verse 6 to the end of the chapter. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to that's where we're getting the information from. So Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed. By this time, I'm sure everyone knows what Sodom and Gomorrah is because it's associated with all kinds of sinful, you know, despicable things. God is so upset with Sodom and Gomorrah and all the acts that are going on there. He's hearing the cries of people, you know, in in distress because it's such an awful, wicked place to live that he decides to destroy it. However, Abraham pleads on behalf of Sodom and ask the Lord if anyone is righteous. They go back and forth many times over. But then he eventually says, God says he won't destroy the city, or he will destroy the city, but he will save anyone that's righteous. So he agrees to save Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. Right. Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you're not sure how to turn it into reality? You need Ready, Set, Podcast. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record edit, and publish your idea. They have prices to fit any budget and options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. So if you have an idea, reach out to them for a free consultation on their website or social media at www.readysetpodcast.xyz. Ready, Set, Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. And so um, God sends two angels into Sodom, and their job is essentially to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But before they do that, their job is to go in and get Lot and his family and warn them of about right. of what is about to happen and, and to tell them to come on and get out. And so, in, um, so these men come to Lot's house. Lot had met them at the city gate and invited them to come to his house. He prepared a meal for them, and Mm -hmm. he took care of them. They took shelter in his house. And then as night is falling and they are getting ready to go to bed, every man in the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounds the house. So this is chapter 19, or uh, yeah, chapter 19, starting in four. And so they all go to bed. (laughs) They're all trying to go to bed. And every, like that picture, of every man in town surrounding yeah. the house is a little frightening. And so they surround the house, and these men cry out to Lot and say, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And then in verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and said, Shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look. Here's where we get cringy. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Yeah. Huh? Say what? 
Yeah, this is the righteous man that they're going to bring out, <laughs> that they're going to rescue out of this wicked place. It kind of seems like in this scripture, it's a rubbed off a little bit. Mm. But we also know their times are different than our times. And women had very low uh, and worth. like property. Yeah, they then. had very low worth. So it's hard for me currently to read this story, and I know that people reading this story. I'm sure it's hard for any woman. Anyone, any woman reading it and be like, well, my dad is about to just throw me out to be gang raped. Literally prostitute them. Yeah, but he brought in these two men off the street, and he's protecting them and throwing me out to the wolves. That he doesn't even know. <laughs> Other I'm than sorry. Knowing but they were what? from the Lord, you know. Yeah, and so it goes on in verse 9. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And then they keep pressuring Lot, and they move forward to break the door. So the two angels end up, they reach out and grab Lot, get him into the house, and strike the men with blindness so they can't find the door. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, interesting. Then they tell Lot... Um, to warn his sons-in-law and their um and his daughters, and to spread the word that we're about to we're here because we're going to destroy the city. God has sent us to destroy the city, and you need to get out. So go warn them. Right. And then these sons-in-law think it's a joke, and they don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And so they stay behind. And so, and Lot hesitates. It goes on to say that in verse 16, Lot hesitated. Yeah, he's delaying. And he was supposed to go when they said go. Mm -hmm. And he didn't go quickly. He was hesitant in that. And so the men, angels, grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters. These are the unmarried daughters. So there's other married ones. Mm -hmm. The ones that were going to get thrown to the the men for gang raping. Yeah, so they grab these four, Lot, his wife, and the two daughters, and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And so he tells them to flee for your lives. Verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. And so we all know, I mean, probably a lot of people know this story. Lot's wife turns back. He says, don't turn your back. Keep going. Run as fast as you can. Get out. She turns back and she turns into a pillar of salt. Mm -hmm. Crazy. We would be wise to remember this story whenever we are brought out of our sin. When God corrects us or sets us our lives on a different course, we'd be wise to remember this story Mm -hmm. and not look back to the past Mm -hmm. for what to do. Luke 9, 62 says, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Strong words. Strong words. When I rescue you out of something, don't look back. It's it, it. She wasn't just looking. She was longing. There you go. For the life that she was leaving behind. Part of her wanted that life. And God's saying, give yourself to me, submit to me fully. When I bring you out of something, 
don't desire to have the old things. Mm-hmm. Don't desire to return to the mess he just pulled you out of. That reminds me, what is it, the scripture in Proverbs where? Proverbs twenty six eleven. Okay. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Yeah. And not only are we not supposed to return to the mess that we just came from, but we need to turn forward and look ahead at what God has planned for us. What what she missed when she was looking back is she wasn't looking forward to see, hey, you're headed to a place that's safe. You're headed to a place where God is going to bless you and put a hedge of protection around you. What she was looking back at was the destruction, and she missed all the things that he had planned out in her fu- in her future. So I think that that's an important lesson for us. We need to fix our eyes on where he's leading us, not where mm-hmm. we've been. So now it is just Lot and his daughters. Right. Lot and his two unmarried daughters, and they flee and take refuge in a cave. But that's actually not what the angels instructed them to do. Whenever the angels said to flee, they specifically said, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And Lot didn't want to. And so he kind of barters with them and says, oh, no, we don't want to. We don't want to go to the mountains. He said. um, And so they request there was a town nearby called Zor and um, the angels were agreeable to allow him to take refuge in that town. And so they did there temporarily and um, and then watched as, oh, they, they waited until he made it to the town of Zor before raining down the burning sulfur right. and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. So he would, they could not destroy it until they made it to Zor. And it's not until verse 26 that it talks about Lot's wife turning back and becoming a pillar of salt. So... Um, she may have made it to Zor before turning back. And it's, it looks like it the way that the text reads. But then the daughters and Lot eventually do leave Zor, and then they do settle in the mountains, and then eventually they start living in, in a cave. And lucky for us, Genesis 19 is a twofer. Two cringeworthy stories. In verse 30, now Lot and his daughters are in this cave, and mm-hmm. I'm going to read... 30 through 38. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. There is no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night, I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through a father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him again. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. 
been Ammi. I don't know. Not real sure how to say that. He is the father of the Ammonites today. So gross. Who <laughs> wants to have kids with your dad? Well, these girls did. And their motivation, if we look at why they did this, like, if you're just reading the story, like, I know for us, we'd be like, disgusting. That is not even, how did that enter their brains? Why would they do that? Well, well, they just watched Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. So they were living completely isolated um, with just their father. And they didn't see any husband in sight. Right. So they thought if we don't, we're not going to have a bloodline unless we sleep with our dad. And they didn't get his consent for that. And so they just get them all good and liquored up. And he's not aware. He's so drunk. He's not even aware he slept with both of his daughters and impregnated them. Yeah. And they, they had, in I guess in this time, good intentions. They wanted to extend the family bloodline. However, well, and the people, the people around them were the Canaanites, and they didn't think that they should marry the Canaanites because the Canaanites were cursed. But also not real good to have kids with your dad. Yeah. Because what we later, kind of, if you dig into the scripture and read the history, the Moabites and the Ammonites, these boys that were born to them, mm-hmm. ended up being the enemies of the Israelites for the rest of history. and so they. Bore into Lot's family, their their bloodline ended up being quite wicked. Yeah, and although Lot um, didn't have a knowledge of them sleeping with him and him impregnating them, he allowed himself to get trash drunk. Mm-hmm. And when you allow yourself to lose control or loosen your inhibitions and you make yourself susceptible to those temptations or to things that that being in a state of inebriation would keep you from making rational choices. Right, and it sounds like, based on this story, he was blacked out. Like, he doesn't have any memory of it. He was blackout drunk. Blacked out drunk. He was so inebriated, he had no memory of what he was doing. And when you're blacked out, you really can't consent. I mean, you don't, you may look like you're just fine to other people, but he was clearly unable to know, either remember or give consent to what he was doing. And as most of us know, whenever you put yourself in that state, you make choices that you might not otherwise make. Mm -hmm. Even though he didn't consciously make the choice to sleep with his daughters. He made the choice to get so drunk that he couldn't say, no, this is a bad idea. So this is a reminder to us that if we're going to consume alcohol, do it in moderation. Otherwise, you lose your ability to make good choices and to stay in line with God's will. Exactly. Also, I think it's a good point um, for us to learn that to look at these daughters and say they had, or what they thought anyway, were good intentions. Right. Look at us. There's no men around. This is a way that we can make for ourselves a family and extend our bloodline, which would be, I guess, honorable. But their actions were wicked. They went about it in a, in, they took matters into their own hands. Well, and they, they went about it in a deceitful manner. They, mm-hmm. they 
drugged, essentially, mm-hmm. drink, alcoholed, you know, yeah. like yeah. their dad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. And they also, I think it's also important, it comes to me, that they could have waited and waited for God to bring other people. I, right. I'll, I, I'm willing to bet you that they probably found other people in the earth. It didn't say they were there for 10 years and hadn't seen a soul in the wilderness. Yeah. They just assumed there's right. no one around. And they assumed there never would be. And so they had to take matters into their own hands. Yeah. Wait on God. Yes. Okay. Our, our, um, we also we can't see the whole picture, mm-hmm. and because of that, it's it's so important to trust that God will do what's best for you. But they wouldn't wait to find out. Exactly. We don't get to see the alternative ending to the story, where it's like, and behind door number two, they did not get their father drunk, and God walked these men into their lives, and then they made a great nation that got along with the Israelites. I wonder if that could have happened, but. That's that's not how the Bible works, alternative endings and such. <laughs> and the final stop on our um, stroll down cringeworthy scripture lane, we find ourselves in the book of Hosea. So in Hosea, we're starting in chapter one. So Hosea is a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him and tells him something no one ever wants to hear. <laughs> Go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. And so he married Gomer. And then she conceived and bore him a son. Nobody wants to hear this from God. (laughs) You know, when we talk about God's plans are good for you, Hosea got a short end of that stick. That's what they're going, (laughs) hmm? You want me to do what with it? Yeah. What? This would make me cringe. It would make me go, uh, no. Me and God would be wrestling if I got that command from on high. And this is also what makes us go, what kind of good God asks me to go marry someone who's just going to cheat on me and prostitute herself? No, thanks. And the the unfaithful children? No, thank you. I don't want either of those in my family. No, thanks. (laughs) But Hosea obeys him, and so he makes Gomer his wife. She gives him two children, Mm -hmm. and just like, I mean, she is an adulterous woman, so um, she ends up going out on him, and she has relations with, we don't know who or how many, but definitely many more than Hosea. Right. And God tells him in advance that that's who she is, and that's what she's going to keep doing. And then he tells Um, Hosea in Hosea 3 to be reconciled to his wife. He said, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred Mm. raisin cake. So they're making idols. And so he bought her for 15 shekels of silver and um, it says a homer and a le- uh, I guess a lethic of barley. And he's told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or, an int- or be intimate with any man, for I will live with you. I want to interview this man. Whenever we get mm-hmm. to glory land, I'll be like, tell me about that. How did you do that? I don't know if God just turned his heart in this yeah. way. 
You know how he did that. I do know. Hesed. Yeah. I know. I know. It's a setting of the will. That's Regardless right. of how he felt about it, he did it. And so this is, a you know, at first, yes, we cringe and we go, oh, who would want to do that? But what God, this is a metaphor. The whole book of Hosea is a metaphor for God's relentless Hesed love. We unpack that word in yes. another episode. It's called strumming my pain with his fingers. If you want to go listen to that, we, I don't know, it was earlier on in the maybe episode five or six. I can't remember. Um, but we unpack that in, in great detail there. But God is showing his love for the Israelites who are repetitively unfaithful. Yes. They deceive. They have other idols. They don't have any concern for what God has asked. They basically mock him and spit in his face for all the love that he's given them. And Hosea is being told by God, I want you to basically sit in my seat and feel what I feel towards the nation of Israel. Hosea is a metaphor for God and Gomer is Israel. And he says, keep going back to her. You pay, And he paid money for her to get her back. It wasn't like he, he just went and snatched her and walked away. Like He paid like everybody else would have paid for her. Right. And so God is showing through this story his hesed love, his loving kindness, and his long-suffering that he has for the nation of Israel. They've They've strayed many times, and he keeps pulling them back into repentance with his loving kindness. Yeah. And that is the same. That's a message for us. He he did that for the nation of Israel, but as the Bible moves forward, that is that invitation of loving kindness and long-suffering and grace is given not just to the Israelites, but to everyone else as well. And so the entire human race has the same invitation. Yes. He is inviting us to commune with him. Yes. And it's available to everyone. And then later on in the New Testament, Jesus comes and he dies for everyone, not just the nation of Israel. He dies for anyone who would believe in him and come to him is saved. Right. And so with all of these cringeworthy stories, at first you just go, oh, let's skip over this, or I don't understand that. But it's important when we read the Bible that whenever we come across something, we don't just have that response and move on, that we dig into it and go, okay. I don't understand this. What, what is going this about? On? Look into the context. Look into the history. Read a commentary. Um, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in as you read. Because if we just ignored these cringy things, we would miss the message that is that is underneath them. And there's multiple ones, as mm-hmm. you can see, as we've as we've talked about each of the stories. So. We encourage you to do that. Read the Bible with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to come and enlighten you and to give you some tenacity as you read, not just to, you know, be okay with going, oh, I don't understand this. This is weird. God is odd. God is right. cra- God be crazy. Yeah, he is crazy. But he asks us to figure him out. Like, how willing are you to figure me out? Yeah, how much time do you want to invest in, in getting into the Word and having a, a prayer life and growing that communion with God? He 
is begging us to come to communion with him, to have a relationship with him, to draw close to him, to let him in. He he loves us so much and he wants nothing more than that very thing. Thanks for listening to the God Be Crazy podcast. If the message of the podcast resonates with you, please make sure to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. We also encourage you to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. By doing this, you may help others hear the podcast as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or just share it the good old fashioned way. Talk about it with the people in your life. It is our hope that you will be blessed and strengthened by the truth and crazy love of God. 